Pastor Rick had a tie on today, I was like, wow, this is definitely a special day. And those of you who don't know him, he does not, he's not a tie guy. So, and then he looks at me and says, you, how do I have a tie on and you don't have a tie on? I was like, you missed, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. But we're so glad to be in the presence of the Lord again, amen. Just look at somebody and give them a nice smile, sit next to them, everybody looks so serious. Just look at them and smile and say, I'm so glad to be here today. Come on, I'm so glad to be here today. I wouldn't rather uh, be anywhere else than here in the house of the Lord. I just want to welcome all of our first-time visitors that are here. And we're so glad. Let's, let's give them a one more time, Ruach love. And we're so glad that they're here today and that you decided to come to uh, RCC to celebrate Jesus Christ with us. Amen. So many churches you could have been to, so we don't take it for granted that you're here today. And we want you to know how much we love and we appreciate you coming to fellowship with us today. Amen. So glad that my mom is here today, amen. She's my sister, my brother, got the whole crew here today. And uh, so glad I, I was I'm a little jet lagged. Pastor Bruce said, you're a little jet lagged? I said, yeah, I'm just a tad bit. We uh, flew in from uh, London last night, and so uh, I'm a tad bit, you know, if I, if I look a little cross-eyed, don't, I'm not going to faint. I'm okay. Uh, uh, ministering at the uh, uh, conference that Bishop Francis has every year. And, I dragged Levi with me, and it literally, by the time we got, we'll be there for four days. By the time it was time to come back, Levi was just getting his clock adjusted in his body. He slept the entire trip. Like, so don't ask him what happened, how good it was, what did he see. He slept the entire trip. I'm, I'm out on the stage preaching my guts out, and he's in the back sleep. I mean, just knocked out. And it's like, Levi, Jesus is alive. Do you know that? It's like, just... He just knocked out sleep. So, uh, so, uh, we, but we got brought us back safely. I'm so thankful, and I wanted to make sure that I was here for RCC Philly on Easter Sunday. I did not want to miss Easter Sunday. So, Bishop Francis was like, "Can you stay a couple extra days?" I was like, "Absolutely not. I have to be back for Sunday. They will kill me if I'm not there on Sunday." So I'm so glad to be back with my RCC family today, and God definitely has an awesome word for us today, and I want to jump right into that. Can we jump right into the word today? Father, we just thank you, God, for this awesome opportunity that you've given us, God, to come together and to fellowship with you and to uh, call upon that wonderful name of Jesus, the name that we're not ashamed of, but we give honor and praise to, and we thank you that today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's jump right into the scripture. And I want you just to, uh, if you have your Bibles, just turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and 17. I'm going to read that scripture in a moment. And uh, I decided to title this, Resurrection, This Changes Everything. Resurrection, This Changes Everything. Uh, and really, it doesn't matter where you are with your walk with God. Uh, whether you say, well, I'm a mature Christian, I've already received Jesus. Um, or you say, you know, I'm in the middle, or you say, I don't know where I'm at. This message will hit everybody because as uh, I was preparing for it, you know, as a believer, you just constantly need to be reminded and stay in remembrance of why you're saved and why he died on the cross and rose again. Amen? Because so many times we kind of get sidetracked and we forget the reason why we're here. Amen? And so... Um, this message really, really blessed me and really touched me. And so I, I, I want to read this as a, I want to start off on this scripture just 
I'm not going to hold you long. Uh, on 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, um, out of the Amplified Bible. And it says, if Christ has not been raised, I mean, this one scripture is really profound. Your faith is a mere delusion. That's what I said. So everything that we're believing is a delusion if Christ has not been raised. <laughs> Futile, fruitless, and you are still in your sins under the control and the penalty of sin. Now, just reading that one verse alone, I think it's pretty important, his resurrection. Because the Bible says, if Christ is still in the tomb, then guess what? We have been in a big delusion. <laughs> we are fruitless. And even worse than being in a delusion and being fruitless is the fact that we are still under the control of sin. So, so the fact that Jesus Christ came, he lived. Sister Chris, he, he, he exemplified the love of Christ. He was uh, 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 hung on a cross. We just celebrated Good Friday. This past Friday where Jesus Christ was hung on the cross and died for our sins. Uh, and then he was resurrected from the dead. But our whole celebration as Christians really hinges, and Paul said this, Paul the scholar really did a phenomenal job with that one verse. I mean, he, he summed everything up on why it is important that we know and believe that Jesus Christ is not dead that he's alive. And I love it because uh, uh, one of the reasons that it's important because everything he said, if he's, if he's not risen, everything he said before that would be a lie. And I think it's interesting that although uh, in his ministry, you, you've read it, that he raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, he raised a centurion's daughter from the dead, uh, he did miraculous things, and no one uh, writes books disputing the, the, the uh, the Lazarus being raised from the dead. Nobody writes books disputing that whether the centurion's daughter was raised from the dead. But they love to write books disputing whether Jesus is alive and well. I, I mean, th th don't you think that's a little strange? I mean, they're not going to dispute his works <laughs> because history has proven a fact, whether they're believers or not believers, no one disputes the existence of Jesus. And no one disputes the fact that he did miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, but, 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 but because our whole Christianity, our whole belief system hinges on this verse that he is not dead, that he is alive. Uh, I found an awesome quote uh, by Dr. John McGray, who's a, a professor at the University of Chicago. Uh, and he began to talk about uh, uh, Luke, the physician. So, so. When I begin to dig a little bit deeper on why the resurrection is so important, uh, I begin to look at the book of Luke because, you know, for some reason, you know, Luke, Luke, Luke has a, a, a phenomenal track record as far as being a professional. Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. For some reason, we believe the doctors more than we believe the preachers. So I, I said, I figured I would start off with Luke. Because if you go to the doctor, the doctor said, you're going to die in eight months. You go home and you prepare. I mean, we just believe the doctors. But the preacher says that God has great things for you. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, mean, I don't understand it. But anyway, so I, I decided to use Luke 
just because he was a physician as one of the main pieces. But not only was Luke a physician, but Luke was also a scholar. Luke was also an historian. Luke also had archaeological experience. Luke was a genius. So Jesus did not hang around dumb people. He had some really smart, brilliant people that hung around him. And I love this quote by Dr. McRae. He says, uh, the general consensus of both liberal and conservative scholars is that Luke is a very accurate uh, is is a is very accurate as a historian. He's uh, erudite. His eloquent, his Greek approaches, classically uh, quality. He writes as an educated man, and archaeological discoveries are showing over and over again that Luke is accurate in what he has to say. So when you read the book of Luke, archaeologists and scientists are saying, "Man, what this guy has to say, uh, we're finding out that it's true." Maybe because he's a doctor, they think that's true. But he's, it's true, right? Not just because he's a preacher, but because there are facts that they're finding out in the book of Luke that are just amazing, and it is true. So I, I want to look at, and I love Luke's approach to this, because many times uh, I, I always tell people, and I, you know, I have three wonderful boys, and, you know, my prayer every day is that they're saved and that God give, you know, God give them a heart after him. You know, growing up in church, they can't live through Ray and I's experience, Right? They have to have their own experience. Uh, sometimes, you know, Noah thinks he's saved, but we're just working on him. And Noah, Lord Jesus, this, when you pray tonight, just say, Noah, Lord, Noah, Lord, Noah, Lord. That's all I want you to say. Just call out Noah's name. The other two I'll work on, just say Noah. All right? Uh, uh, but, but, but they have to come into their own relationship. And, and it's always my, my goal as a pastor to make sure that you have your relationship with God. And my job is to make sure I point you in the right direction. But I can't do it for you. You have to be able to dig and to seek the face of the Lord for yourself. But Luke says this. He says in verse number 2 of Luke chapter 1, he opens up his book, I mean, really with some powerful statements. And he says in the um, second verse uh, of the first chapter, as soon as it goes there, There we go. Exactly as they were handed down to us by those who from the official beginning of Jesus' ministry were eyewitnesses, we're talking about Jesus, and ministers of the world, that is, of the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation, the kingdom of God. Verse 3, it seemed good and desirable to me, and so I have determined also after having searched out diligently. And followed all things closely. I mean, this is, this, is, this is not light stuff here. And traced accurately the course from the highest to the minutest detail. From the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's saying, listen, uh, uh, you may not have the time to go through it all, but I have taken the liberty to, to, to search it out thoroughly to show you that Jesus is real. Because that's how important it was. This last verse of verse number four, he says, my purpose is that you may know the full truth and understand with certainty and security against error the accounts, the his histories, and doctrines of the faith of which you have been informed and in which you have been orally instructed. So he says, hey, you have oral instructions. He says, but I want to show you in the word of God where Jesus is real. 
I want to show you that I've studied this thing out and that he's real. And it amazes me that uh, someone can just take the word of somebody else and build their whole life philosophy around somebody else's word, a friend's word, on why they're agnostic or why they don't believe in Jesus. And I say, listen, uh, tell me that you have studied it from cover to cover. And after you have studied the book from cover to cover, if you come to that same conclusion, then I will not argue with you. But I am so confident that if you are bold enough, I don't want to get happy too early, but if you are bold enough to study this book from cover to cover, you will find every answer that you can possibly think of. It is in this book. It is the book of life. I don't care what you do in life. I don't care if you, uh, what your profession is. Uh, everything, it covers everything for you when you look at that book. Uh, and, I, and the church always hears me say that God has the perfect plan for the perfect you. He has the perfect plan for the perfect you. Well, you don't understand, Pastor Andre, I went to Harvard and I did all these great things. So what? I know a lot of people who went to Ivy League schools who are miserable because they're out of the will of God. Are you hearing me here, somebody? I know a lot of people who went to Ivy League schools who are confused in their head. They went believing. I remember I was taking a class at, when I was at NYU, and I, I remember, I mean, you know, when you first get into a secular university, you know, as a Christian, you feel like you got to fight every day because the, 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 the thinking is totally out of whack. And after a while, I just got tired of fighting. I just said, you know what, you <laughs> just... You know, uh, but, but I remember that there were people who were saved in the class, one or two people, one or two, including me. And, and, it, and, and afterwards, you know, I'm like, man, why you didn't say nothing? We, 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 needed to, we, we need to band together as Christians. We need to band together against the professor. It's like, I need a grade. But, but people's mindsets were shifting because of someone else's opinion. And I feel like, Luke, study it from start to finish, the biggest detail to the most minute detail. And I promise you that you cannot conclude that Jesus is not alive and Jesus is not real and Jesus is not the answer. I promise you that you will come to the solution. As a matter of fact, you'll say, why have I wasted so much time without Jesus? What have I been doing my entire life? Why have I wasted so, ha, have you ever, for those that are saved, when you got saved, did you ever have the conversation and say, why did I waste so much time without Jesus? If I had only known that he was the solution a long time ago, I could have saved myself so much headache, so much heartache, come on, if I had just surrendered to Jesus. Look at the scripture. Uh, in the book of Luke, stay in Luke chapter 19. Let's talk about real quick why he came. Why he came. Why did he come? We're going to talk about the resurrection in, in about 12 minutes we'll be done. Why he came. Why, why did he come? So uh, Luke is, again, a phenomenal start because Luke says, listen, study. You got to search this thing out. Don't just, we've been handled it orally, but it's nothing like when you come to the conclusion that Jesus is real. You know, when, 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 you are, when you're a child, you take the word of your mother, your father, but when you become an adult, there's some things that you have to come to your own conclusion. And that's what we're talking about here today, coming to your conclusion on who Jesus is, who Jesus is. 
uh, from the beginning, and I don't have time to go into it today, but if, if you read the book of Genesis, you understand that, and, and those of you that are part of RCC, you know we've taught this uh, over the last year or so, uh, that the fact that the garden, through man's disobedience, man fell out of the image of God. So God made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden in perfect unity with God. The serpent shows up. The enemy speaks to the serpent to introduce them to disobedience. The wonderful thing about salvation is God does not make you do anything. You choose him. You choose him. You choose him. Uh, and so, so here it is. They have the choice. And I always hear people say, well, why did God just make them? I said, no, he he's not looking for robots. He's looking for people that will love them. Now, I, I, I love my wife. I don't want to have to make her love me. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be, sometimes I want to make her love me, but I, I can't. She does a phenomenal job at loving me. That's how I got so blessed. I got to clean it up real quick so, you know, she looked at me. So God does not want anybody to have to be forced to love him. He wants you to love him at your own free will. You come to the revelation of who he is and how great that he really is. And so in the garden, they, they disobeyed God. And as a result, watch this, uh, they lost the image of Christ. They lost the image of God in their character. They lost the image of God to the point that when God came back into the garden, the Bible says in the second and third chapter of Genesis, that he says, Adam, where are you? I mean, could you imagine? God, God is all knowledgeable. He's, all, he's omnipotent. Not that he didn't know Adam's geographical location, he couldn't find his image in Adam. Where are you? I can't find you in me. There, 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 there's been something that has been disconnected. I can no longer find your life in me. I can't, I can't see myself in you. Adam, where are you? And from that time, uh, the same cry has been saying, where are you? But thank God, when he sent Jesus, he sent Jesus to restore his image in us so that he can look at us and find himself in us. So glad I'm saved. So glad I'm saved. Why did he come? Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10 real quick. Let's write the scripture down. And then we're going to look at John. Really simple verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. John 3 and 16 out of the Amplified. I love this. For God so greatly loved, loved the world and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on. So watch this. Believing is not just saying, I believe that Jesus was here. No, 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 no. He says, I got to take this deeper because you have a lot of people that believe that Jesus existed, but they don't believe, they're not trusting in, clinging to, and relying on. When you say I'm saved, you're saying I'm believing in, trusting in, clinging to, and relying on Jesus. I mean, that sounds a whole lot different than just saying, well, I believe. No, 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 no. I, I just don't believe. I trust in him. I'm cling, not, you know what cling, be clingy, clingy, you're, you're clinging on him, you're relying on him, you're trusting in him, him shall not perish, come to, the, you, you, if you do this, you won't perish, you won't come to destruction or be lost, 
but you will have eternal, everlasting life. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to take your place and to pay your penalty. I mean, the only perspective that I can put this in is, uh, if God forbid, if anything had to happen to my kids, I would gladly, as a father, stand in their place. Any parent in this place would say the same thing. You would gladly stand in their place. If someone, a gunman came in and said, I'm going to kill them, you would gladly take that because that's love. And God loved you so much that he took your penalty. He said, I don't want you to pay the penalty. I'm going to give my son the penalty because I love you so much. I mean, that's serious love. Your pastor loves you, but that's a lot of love. I mean, I got no space to do it for raising the kids right now. I'm working on stretching it. I'm sacrificing my life by being here and giving up a lot of myself. I mean, but, I mean, that God kind of love, I'm working on it. I'm working, I'm working on that God kind of love. Look at somebody and say, I'm working on that God kind of love. I'm working on it. I'm working. Don't be deep. You know you ain't got it yet. Some of you act like I'm already there. Okay. Okay, look, look at this. Look at this scripture. I'm almost there. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. This is awesome. For you know that you are not redeemed from your useless, spiritual, unproductive way of life. Wow. I mean, you talk about in-your-face conversation. I mean, there's no warm-up there. He's just like, you are spiritually unproductive. And it became a way of life. How many people remember when your life was spiritually unproductive? Everything you did was just messed up. Way of life inherited by traditions from your forefathers, which perishable things like silver and gold couldn't purchase it. He says, verse 19, but you were actually purchased. So here it is. Watch this. There was a spiritual exchange that took place. Someone took your place. Someone paid your price. Hell was not created for you. It was created for the enemy. But you have a choice. But Jesus loved you so much that he made sure that he gave you the strongest choice that you can ever make. I mean, that's love. Uh, uh, well, you don't know how imperfect I am or what I've done or, or my issues. I said this last week. I said, God does not love your future you any more than he loves your present you. I, I, can I say it again? He does not love your future you any more than your current you. I don't care if you come to every service for the next 20 years and you start and you walk a straight line and you're perfect. He does not love you more, that more of you than the current messed up part of you. Because his love is so wide, his love is so deep, come on, his love is so strong, his love is so great that even as a pastor, I don't even deserve his love. I'm not perfect. There's so many things I'm saying, God, why, why, why me? Why do, you, why, why do you choose me? Why do you love me? His love is so uncomprehensible. Gosh. But his love is so great. I love that. He says that our unproductive selves, selves that did not do what needed to be done, but love paid the price. Love paid the price. I want to read this last scripture to you. That same scripture in, in, in the Message Bible. 
Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of the dead end. I'm preaching better than y'all saying something. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm preaching better than y'all facial expression. I know I am. I'm, I'm encouraged by myself. Don't worry. He said, <laughs> it costs plenty for God to get me out of my dead end. Don't waste the price. Don't waste the price. Don't get caught up in the price. Look at this. He says, uh, 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 empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood. You know, he died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthoughts. Wow. Now, now, now Mother Beth, that blessed me. He said, you are not an afterthought. This thing was planned out before the beginning of time. He made a plan to redeem you. He made a plan to make sure that you would be redeemed. You are not an afterthought. You are not a secondary thought. I always say this. You didn't get here and God says, oh, no, I didn't know that was going to happen. What am I going to do with JoJo? I mean, that would be messed up. You get here and God's like, I'm all out of purposes. <laughs> I don't have any more purposes, John. It's all done. I'm finished. I don't know what I'm going to do now. I got to figure something out. No, no, God, no, no. God, God knew you were going to show up. Your mother and father probably didn't know that you were going to show up. But God knew you were going to show up before the foundation of the world. He already has something mapped out for you. He knew you was going to come, and he had a purpose for your life. Ah. Oh, he had a purpose. A purpose. So no one is born by accident. You are born on purpose. You are not a oops. You are not a oops. So we wish we could have came through better vehicles. <laughs> but, <laughs> but God did not make a mistake by allowing you to be here. You are not an afterthought. I mean, let that sit in for a minute. You are not an afterthought. Thank God all three of our kids are playing. We try to make sure we don't have any oopses. So we had to, we knew, okay, we, we want to have, you know, our second child now, make preparations. The baby's on the way. We haven't seen the baby. What do you start doing? You have baby showers. Oh. You know, to offset the cost of a billion dollars. Oh. That's how much it costs to raise the kids these days. Now, waking up in cold sweats, thinking about college. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, so, so you start preparing. You start preparing. The doctor tells you, they go to your doctor. You believe you didn't see nothing hardly. You can't even tell in that little thing they show you. Do you see it? No, you know you lying. You know you don't see the difference. You can hardly see that stuff. I see it, doc. You don't see nothing. The power of suggestion. But anyway, you take his word and you start buying and having baby showers and you walk in and it's a big old sign, it's a boy, and they start buying you blue clothes and doing all these things. You are in preparation for what's about to arrive. So God did not allow you to arrive without first making preparations. Are you with me here today? He prepared for you. He has enough to take care of all of his children. He prepared. 
every great thing that you can think of, he prepared. Let's finish this. And this was no afterthought, even, even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. God always knew he was going to do this for you. Always knew. It's because of this sacrifice Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God's. Okay, that, that, that little key, right? Brother Ben, we got to get that. Your future is in God's. In God's. In God. Your future is in God. There's no future outside. There's no guarantee outside of God. My only guarantee is in God. Only in God. There's no disputing the death of Christ. But I love it and don't have time to read it in Luke 24, 1 through 3, in Luke 24, 31. Jesus makes himself after he is risen from the dead. The, the women come to, you know, do his body and put incense. And they come and there's an angel just chilling on top of the rock. I mean, they come, they, they come the next morning and there's an angel just sitting there, you know, having a Diet Coke. I like Diet Coke. He's just, in the spirit, there's no time. So they had Diet Coke. <laughs> Some of you are like, there's no Diet Coke in the Bible. Lighten up. I'm just joking. Okay. The, the, the angel is sitting on the rock, and, 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 and they're just having a good time. And, and, and they say, they, the angel says, where you going? We come, we come to put some fresh incense. It's our tradition to put incense and stuff and, and, and wrap the body. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? For the man that you seek, he's not here. They run back. They're like running to the disciples. You're not going to believe what just happened. And you got a couple of them who are like, that's amazing, verbally. But in their mind, they're like, yeah, okay. But there's one booger who just verbally says, his name is Thomas. But because of that one moment, we now for the rest of eternity call him Doubting Thomas. I think that's wrong. I'm just saying. I mean, Thomas was there when they handed out, when they were doing miracles, and he sent them two by two, Charles, and they out there doing miracles. Thomas was there. Thomas did some great things. But guess what happened? That one moment defined his whole life. You got to be careful how you allow moments to define your life. Uh, I'm done. I'm finished. You got to be careful. You got to be careful because don't allow moments to define you. Don't allow mistakes or errors to define you. Don't allow failures to define you. And don't allow people to define you by your errors or your mistakes. I'm almost done, so calm down. I'm almost done. So look at this. Thomas opens up. Thomas is the only one that has enough guts to say, I will not believe until I see it. And all the disciples are like, man, you shouldn't have said that. That was just... I mean, that, that, I mean this, this man walked on water. That was not the right thing for you to say. I, I mean, the, 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 everybody comes through. Wow, they're amazed. They're crying because he said he was going to do this. He said he was going to be resurrected. He said that in three days, if you, you know, put my body in the tomb, I'm going to come back. I mean, they remember all these sayings start coming up in their mind. And this Thomas who says, I'm not going to believe until I see. And something happens. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now, remember, the Bible is not just a spiritual book. 
it is uh, 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 historians and archaeologists use it as a uh, 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 as a roadmap, but actually historical documents. And it's just that watch this; they're just figuring out something that the writers already knew. Thomas comes in and says, "I'm not gonna believe it." Jesus shows up. He says, "Thomas, it's me." He says, "Okay, you still don't believe me? Take your hand and put it inside my hand. Feel, feel, feel the hole. Feel, feel the scars." Thomas, it's me. And all of a sudden, Thomas believes. But the Bible says that Jesus showed himself to over 5,000 people to prove to the world that he was alive. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Luke, he showed himself to the woman at the tomb. Luke 24, he showed himself to the disciples on the road to Aramis. The apostles saw him in the upper room. 5,000 other apostles saw him. But the greatest testimony to the fact that Jesus is not dead is the evidence of you. It is great that we read that all these people saw evidence of who Jesus was. And watch this. The fact that the Bible also proves archaeological findings that they're constantly finding shows the credibility of the book, and it's enough for us to believe that they, everything else must be true when we talk about showing himself to 5,000. That's great, but sometimes we get a little doubting Thomas in us, and we need to know for ourselves, but then Jesus came and did something for us. And my greatest proof is the fact that I'm saved, that I've been born again, that I'm no longer under the control of sin. I want to leave off where I started. And if Christ has not been raised, you close your Bibles, your faith is a delusion. And you are still in your sin, under the control and penalty of sin. That's my confidence. Because I can assure you I am no longer under the control of the things I used to do. And the fact that I'm not is the evidence that I'm free and that he is alive. Are you hearing me here today? The fact that I'm not is the evidence. Because if I, if he was dead, I could not be free from my sins. I would still be under the control of my bad habits and those things. But the fact that I am not is the evidence that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. you put your Bibles down and jump to your feet. And I pray that your, that your heart has been pierced today to, to really hear the love of Christ and really see that God has the perfect plan for the perfect you. It can't get any better. Don't hide behind your secular successes. Who cares? Who cares? Don't hide behind your six-figure salary. Who cares? I know people that make seven figures that are miserable because they don't have Jesus. In my world of finance, I meet a ton of people that are miserable because they don't have Jesus. But when you have Jesus, you are free. Are you hearing me here, somebody? I, and I'm not talking about when you have religion. I'm not talking about just saying, I'm a Christian. You know, we always make fun. Say, not just being saved, we're talking about being saved, saved. Like, it, you know, 
I see a lot of people that say they're saved. Everybody's definition of salvation these days has changed. They, nothing has changed in them, but they say they're saved. But I'm talking about when you are saved, saved. You are free. You have a relationship with Christ. You know him. Sometimes my wife and I, we're rather we're at the airport, I'll eat. Somebody coming through, hey, Pastor Jones, hey, Prophet Jones, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And, I, you know, I have a conversation. My wife, I walk, they walk away. Mars, did you know them? I said, no, I didn't know them. I said, but I don't want to offend them because if I, you know, you know, sometimes people take that very sensitive. So if I said, who are you? You can't do that. You know, that's rude. So, and it happens to us often. And she says, you, I thought, I even thought you were, I said, no, I didn't really know him. But, you know, I didn't want to be rude and stuff like that. Watch it. But some people, because they see you from afar, they think they have a relationship with you. But when you know someone, if I saw Laura in the mall, I can hug Laura. I'm like, Laura! I know Laura. Right? Uh, 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 uh. Jesus does not want you to know of him. He wants you to know him. Don't know of him. Man, oh yeah, I saw Joel Austin on TV. Yeah, I know, I know about Jesus. No. Don't know about Jesus. Know Jesus. He said, there'll be people who say, hey, I fed the hungry in your name. I lay hands on the sick in your name. He's going to say, depart from me. I don't even know you. Wow. He's going to say, depart from me. I don't even know you. I don't want Jesus to say before Jesus. Said, Jesus, I, I started a church in your name. I pray for people in your name. I preach some Easter message about you in your name. And he says, what's your name again? I don't even know you. What tragedy to have Jesus says, say he doesn't know you. Because you don't have a relationship. Today I want to challenge while those heads are bowed. Someone that may be here says, Pastor, you know, I know Jesus, yeah. I mean, one of the most popular names on the planet. Everybody's heard the name of Jesus. But today, I want to challenge you not just to know about Jesus. I want to challenge you to know Jesus and let him know you. Past religion, past what people think, I'm talking about a relationship. You are no longer subject to sin because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. So real quickly, while those heads are bowed and those eyes are closed, you're here and you say, I'm not saved. I have not received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's a big statement. Not that I just know about Jesus, I know about church, I go to church. But have you received him as your Lord? For someone to be your Lord means they rule over you. Have you allowed Jesus to rule over your life? He is your Lord. If he is not your Lord, and you've been living your life on your own plan, your own five-year projection, your own 10-year business plan for your life, 
Let me tell you, only he has the perfect plan for the perfect you. Only he has the perfect plan for the perfect you. If you're here and you're not saved and you say, you know what? I know him, but I, I need to have a relationship with him. I, I need to receive him as my Lord. While those heads are bowed and those eyes are closed, just raise your hand where you sit. We're not going to call you out. You don't have to fall on the floor. We're just going to pray with you. Is there one that says, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord? I want him to be my God. I want him to be my Savior. I want to I wanna be proof that Jesus is alive. I want those chains to be broken off of my life through salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I always say this, no one has a heaven or hell to put you in. No one can tell you where you're going, where you're not going. I tell people that it's not judging, don't judge anybody. You just worry about your own salvation. Because everyone makes that decision for themselves. We want to pray. We want to pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that is here today, God, and I praise you for this word that has gone forth today. Let it marinate in their hearts. Give us a passion for Jesus. Give us a passion to tell everyone in the city of Philadelphia about Jesus. For anyone that learned of your goodness and your greatness, they begin to tell everyone right away. You met a woman at the well, and she immediately went and got a whole village saved because she came in contact with the real Jesus. Today, we don't want religion. We want Jesus. We don't want tradition. We want Jesus. We want to know the real Jesus that has the ability to really transform our lives and bring us at the purpose, plan, and will. For you have the perfect plan for the perfect us. We thank you that we are becoming more like you every day. And today, God, even for those that didn't raise their hand and some of us that are already saved, but God, we need to surrender more of ourselves to you. So today, God, we give ourselves to you more. We surrender ourselves to you more. We ask that you remove those stumbling blocks out of the way that have kept us falling and tripping instead of running straight to you. Father, we submit our will to you, and we say today, not our will, but your will be done. Come on, somebody tell him, not my will, but your will be done. Come on, whisper that to him, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. Your will be done. We thank you for it. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you take your seat, just tell three people that God has some great things for you.